Thank you for joining us on the first ATS section on medical education podcast on the job search, brought to you by the trainees interested in medical education committee. I'm Kathleen Dew, a third-year pulmonary and critical care fellow at NYU. And I'm Mark Edelman, another third-year pulmonary and critical care fellow at NYU. Our guest today is Anna Brady, an assistant professor of pulmonary and critical care medicine at Oregon Health Sciences University, who recently completed her fellowship at the University of Washington. Our objective today is to provide current fellows with high-yield information on how to begin a job search. We have a few questions for Dr. Brady, who recently successfully completed a job search of her own. Welcome, Dr. Brady. Thanks so much, Mark and Kathleen, and please call me Anna. Thanks, Anna. So our first question is a pretty basic one, uh, and it is, when did you start the process of looking for a job? I started looking for a job in about February or March of my second year of fellowship, which in retrospect was probably a couple months early, um, but it worked out well. And what I did at that point was really just send out some feelers. Um, These were really just emails. And I sent out some of them, but I should say that my faculty mentors probably sent out more uh, to places that I was interested in. And they were just really brief emails, sometimes like, hey, we have a fellow who's looking for a job. Do you have any openings? And if people said yes, then I would follow up with a cover letter and a little bit more information about myself. And when did you know when to send a letter or an email yourself or to ask one of your mentors? How did you determine that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that in general, my mentors sent more of these emails, but there were times when I had a personal connection with someone at another institution and I would feel comfortable in those settings. And I'll also say that as the process went on, I grew more comfortable with reaching out to people at other places, whereas when I first started, it was pretty daunting, and I didn't really feel comfortable. Now, you mentioned that you started looking in February or March of your second year. That seems pretty early. Were there any uh, particular advantages to starting that early? I think the nice thing about starting at that point in the year was that I was able to make some connections with people via email that led to in-person meetings at ETS in May. And that wound up being really helpful because I got to meet faculty at some of the places I was interested in working at and just sort of feel out whether I was a good personality fit, find out about their perspective on the institution, and in some cases, I even was able to meet with a division chief at ATS, um, and that made setting up interviews much easier. That's really interesting, Anna. I'd never thought of using the ATS meeting as a way to meet potential employers. Our next question is, how did you determine which places to apply to or interview at? For me, it was really a question of geography, and it came down to where I was interested in living based on family concerns and based on the career considerations of my significant other. And I think that's pretty typical from having talked to other graduating fellows and incoming faculty. There were interesting jobs in some places that just were not options for me based on where they were located. Another question is, how did you choose between an academic versus private job? I had known for a while throughout fellowship that I was interested in staying in academic medicine, but I did 
find out that there were probably more opportunities out there than I had appreciated for the kind of work that I wanted to do outside of an academic setting. So one of the things that I heard about when I started putting out feelers was that there were opportunities out in the community to stay involved in medical education, which is my area of interest, um, such as being the medical director of respiratory therapy and doing interprofessional education. And there are community hospitals that have residency programs that would allow for more teaching than I think I had originally appreciated. Um, so I knew I wanted to stay in academic medicine, but I did learn about other opportunities along the way. That's a great point that there are uh, non-academic programs or community hospitals that uh, may have uh, residency programs that still allow for teaching of house staff or even education and leadership opportunities uh, for other non-physician providers. What can you tell us about uh, protected time for non-clinical activities that are important for career development? That is a great question about protected time. Um, so I am a clinician educator, and protected time for clinician educators is often challenging to come by um, because, you know, I certainly don't have my own grant funding to come in with protected time out of the gate. One of the big things I learned in looking for clinician educator jobs is that that term really means something different at every institution. And so it was really important to me to align what I thought uh, being a clinician educator meant with what the institution thought it meant. Because at some places, that term means that you do, for instance, 80% clinical time with 20% funded research, which obviously wasn't going to be a fit for me. And so, ultimately, I did not take a job that came with protected time, but that was after conversations with mentors where I came to understand that probably the most important thing is not necessarily the percentage of your time that's protected, but the actual time. So, in other words, you know, one of the big pieces of advice I got when I was looking for a job was that the amount of time that you are actually doing clinical work can vary tremendously by institution. And so when someone tells you that you're going to be 80% clinical, that's not enough. You really need to know, well, how many weeks of service is that? You know, what are the clinical responsibilities? Because being 100% clinical at one place could wind up being less clinical time than being, you know, 80% clinical with 20% quote-unquote protected time at another place. So it sounds like you need to understand what some of the specific meanings of, of some of these terms is at each individual institution. Um, exactly. And so there certainly are protected roles out there, typically administrative, for instance, being the director of the medical ICU, or educational, such as being an associate program director for a training program. Those may or may not be available for you as a first-year faculty member, and they typically also come with a lot of work. And so ultimately, I chose to just start at a place without an administrative role that would give me protected time, but at a place where it looked like there were opportunities to grow into eventually. So Anna, how did you set up a formal interview? I sent out a cover letter along with my CV, um, both of which I had proofread by my faculty mentors at my home institution. So I heard that the New England Journal Career Center actually has a great resource on how to 
start writing a cover letter. Um, after you sent those out, what did the interview days entail? The interview days were pretty involved. They typically involved meeting with a lot of faculty members, but really a range of junior faculty, senior faculty, sometimes even senior fellow trainees. And at two of the three places I interviewed, I wound up giving an hour-long job talk, which is probably a topic for a whole podcast of its own, um, but which took quite a lot of preparation. Um, the interviews also typically involved a dinner and meeting not just with faculty members, but also with administrative personnel in the division. Did you do any kind of second look at any of these prospective employers? I wound up not doing any second looks, but I know friends of mine who have done second looks, and I think that that is pretty typical. How did you decide that the institution where you're currently working was the right place for you? You know, it was really a combination of things. Part of it was similar to any other stage in this process, which was a gut feel of, do I fit in here with this culture? Can I see myself working in this environment? Part of it was the amount of clinical time and what that clinical time was. For instance, I wanted to do both general pulmonary medicine and critical care, and that fit very well with the division here. And then there were also, again, considerations of my significant other's career. And so when it came down to make a decision, I really valued his input and took into consideration what our lives would look like together. So, Anna, to sum up, was there anything you wish you knew before you started the job search process? Yes, for sure. I think the first thing that I wish I knew was to feel free to ask for help during this process. I, mean, I certainly was at an institution where there was a lot of help available um, to guide me in the job search. and. I found myself, as time went on, relying on that help or asking for help, I should say, more and more often. It's just a very different process from applying for residency and fellowship. And it was so, so helpful to me to have faculty mentors available to give input. Um, and different faculty give different inputs. So junior faculty who had recently started and signed their own contracts had different insights than more senior faculty. And it was just really nice to get that, uh, that input. The second thing I would say is that it's really important to know what your priorities are. And different people are going to have different priorities, and different institutions will have different priorities. And I think it's really important to know what you want and what you don't want going into the process, and that makes it, that makes it easier, especially when it comes to negotiation, which is a whole other topic in and of itself. And the last thing I'll say is that even though this process is really daunting and it is so different from residency and fellowship application where there's a match and an algorithm involved, you have more power in this process than you might think. And although I was really intimidated at first to be emailing senior people at other institutions and meeting with them, I did get more comfortable as the process went on. And by the end of the interviews, I was feeling a little bit more ready to start a job as a faculty member than I had felt when I started the process way back in February of my second year of fellowship. Anna, thank you for all this advice, and thank you for joining us. 
If you like this podcast and would like to hear more, please email us at contactatstime at gmail.com or tweet us at, at ATSMedEd with your feedback and suggestions. Look for a podcast on how to negotiate your first contract coming soon. And come chat with us at the ATS International Conference in San Diego at the Teach Mixer on Sunday night. This podcast was brought to you by the ATS Time Committee, a part of the section on medical education. Thank you all for listening.